Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hello, everyone. My name is Tan France. And to me, family is my entire world. Always has been, always will be. And now, possibly even more so. Hello and welcome to We Are Family. I'm here with designer and author Tan France. You will know him as part of the Fab Five. He is, of course, the fashion expert on Queer Eye. And he's now a dad to a newborn baby boy with his husband, Rob. Tan, welcome to We Are Family. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. And I'm so thrilled to welcome you to the Club of Parenthood. So tell me about your son. So my son, his name is Ismail Franz. Um, He is, in my opinion, a very, very, very special boy. We love him so much. Shall I just start from the start and tell you what the heck happened when we had our baby? I would. I want to hear the whole story because I know that he spent a few weeks in the NICU and I would love to hear the, the full story there. Yeah, sure. So my husband and I were expecting our child on August 28th. We went on a baby moon to Iceland, um, what would have been eight, eight and a half weeks before his due date. So we thought, oh, we're being totally safe, careful, like there's no way he's coming this early. And then I was going to London directly from Iceland for work. And my husband was potentially going to come to London. But I said, oh, just go back home to our home in Salt Lake and, and just be there just in case, God forbid, the baby were to come early. I don't want to risk having you in London for two weeks with me. Literally a day later, I got the call and I was still very much out of it. I was really jet lagged. It was very early. And he said, uh, oh my gosh, he's here, Tan. Wait, who's here, Rob? And he said, your son is here. And I was like, your son <gasps> here? What do you mean? And anyway, I cried so hard. Oh I was, my God. I knew how early it was, obviously, because I was counting down the day. So I knew we were just over seven weeks early. Mm -hmm. And so... I cried really hard. I was like, oh my God, what? Uh, how is he? What's wrong? He's so early. There must be something wrong. And Rob said, I don't know. I haven't, I haven't seen him. And I was like, what on earth are you talking about? You haven't seen him. And he said, I'm literally pulling up to the hospital now. She just had him a few minutes ago. I was like, oh wait, gosh. why did it take you so long to get there? And he said, it didn't. It took her 13 minutes from the time <gasps> she started her labor to get in the hospital he was out. She didn't oh even have God, time to put a hospital gown on. Choking. That's how quickly it happened. I know. And so we don't wow. live close to the hospital that she uh, was going to. We live yep. actually quite far away, a couple of hours away. And mm-hmm. so he hadn't seen her yet. And so I was crying. He was crying. We didn't know what was wrong. Um, it was obviously really, really, really stressful. And I was yeah, of course. thousands of miles away. And I knew it was going to take me at least a day or so to get home. Anyway, so he got to the hospital, realized um, that he was he was well. He FaceTimed me, but it just looked really scary. I couldn't stop crying because oh. it looked terrifying. He had loads right. of tubes coming out of him, this oxygen mask thing on him. Oh, and they're so little. So too. little. He was 3.4 pounds. Like he was tiny. Oh. 
peanut. I know. And so, it, oh God, it, I, it killed me. Thankfully, I was with my family. And so I was with my sister and my mom. Uh, and we were all very emotional trying to figure out what was happening. Um, <gasps> and then uh, and then it was just a fight to get home. It took me two days to get home. Oh, my God. You must have just felt like, can I teleport myself right now? Like I that know. feeling of feeling so far away. I felt away. physically sick. I felt fi- <sighs> I couldn't sleep. Um, I couldn't think of anything. I was consumed with thoughts of him and Rob. Um, and I was just so glad that Rob was he- uh, here with him. Gosh, if Rob had been in London also, it would have killed me to think of him being alone. Um, oh, my goodness. So, yeah. Oh my anyway, goodness. I made it home two days later. Um, and you went and- straight to the hospital? I w- went straight to the hospital. Yeah, actually, I, I tell I, I went to the hotel next to the hospital to shower. I didn't want to have airplane on me when I went to see him, so I knew I needed to shower before I, I got there. But showered, didn't care about doing my hair. I wore a hat, didn't care about what I was wearing. I wore sweats. It didn't matter. Um, and then, uh, yeah, I went to be with my boy, and we were at the hospital every day for at least seven, eight hours a day for the next three weeks. Um, And it was beautiful bonding time. It really was. And it was actually interesting learning how to manage a baby. Don't get me wrong. I I would not wish anyone's baby uh, on a NICU or the NICU on anyone's baby because it's so stressful. But, um, But having that support of showing you what he needs, how often to feed them, what their cues mean, that actually was really helpful. So by the time we got him home two and a half weeks ago, we felt like we had it, like no concern. Yeah. And that is the case. It, it felt like, how are people just taking babies home without and knowing leaving. how to raise them? That's a really good point. It's like NICU or not, you know, there does feel like there needs to be a little bit more of support with new parents because it can feel that way. I felt that way about, I had a C-section, so I got like an extra oh, couple yeah. days when you have a yeah. C-section and it was a similar thing. Like it was emergency C-section, panic, like, but, you know, I was grateful to have that little bit of extra time in the hospital. Yeah. Well, in England, I don't know, I don't think this is the case in America, but in England, if you have a, and I've got air quotes of a mm-hmm. natural, uh, regular labor mm-hmm. birth, you can go home a couple of hours later. And I just think, yeah. how are you sending these poor women home? Yes. And not preparing them for, just at least give them a day or so where you I help know. them understand how what, what this looks like, how to change that diaper, how to properly burp them, like all those things. It's yes. important, really important. And I'm married to a pediatric nurse and he still even learned some stuff. So it was it was really important for us, really important for us um, to have that that extra help just because he, he needs a little more support because he's still so preemie. Mm-hmm. He needs some support. And so, yeah, learning from them was invaluable. Yeah. And so what's it been like now that you're all home together as a family? Gorgeous. Um, The daytimes are beautiful, sometimes difficult, but beautiful, obviously. Um, Rob and I are two men. And so we don't have the traditional dynamic of man and woman, therefore mom is more responsible for baby. And I'm not saying that I agree with that. I'm saying that that is traditionally how Right, those constructs are not there to kind of fall back on even accidentally. Yeah, even if you have the most forward-thinking man, I think the expectation is the primary caregiver is the mom. Whereas, obviously, we don't have that at all. And so we are both very actively responsible, equally responsible for our child. And so that makes it a little easier. And so managing... That's a really good point. 
yeah, managing them in the daytime is actually quite manageable. Ordinarily, we manage to get ourselves together, shower, we get to go to the gym, we cook a meal every day, not to pat ourselves uh, too much on the back. I think we're doing a decent job of managing regular life and new baby life. Yeah. Um, nights are hard. Nights are getting oh, yeah. easier, but they are still very hard. Those first couple of nights were really difficult. That first night we woke up every hour or so um, mm. because we had him in our bedroom right next to our bed on my side. And mm. every little noise I would oh, yes, wake I remember up. That. I couldn't mm-hmm. help it. Oh, yeah. And he makes this sound... <clears throat> constantly it's him trying to poop or fart or whatever yeah 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 Um, i know that sound it's constant and so even if he's not crying to be fed or changed he's still making a lot of sounds and so you're up at like you know in a flash kind of like what's going on yeah 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 (laughs) and so that was the first couple of days and then we i I was having actually both of us were having a really hard time in the daytime because nighttime was so hard we were just out of it and so we have a bedroom directly across from our, our room so instead of him being right next to the bed we leave our door open and his door ajar and uh and so now his bed is in there oh his crib is in there and so we can't hear everyone we hear when he starts to whimper to wake up but we Mm -hmm. can't hear all the "Eh, eh, eh." yeah but (laughs) i mean it's easier right that allows you to get a little bit more sleep because i remember that feeling too i'd wake up and like check that my daughter was breathing it's like that anxiety of new parenthood is real what has been beautiful is the support from my friends or people who aren't necessarily my, who haven't been my close friends, just people I know who recently had babies and now they've become friends because we're all kind of going through it together. There's so many people, as Mm -hmm. I'm sure you know, within the last year and a half have had their COVID babies. We are one of them. Yeah, All of us have had them within the same six month-ish period. And so having that support from all of these incredible women, they have been, offer, been able to offer me invaluable tips and I in turn have been able to give them advice on the kind of things that might help them. And so it's mm-hmm. created this sense of community that I never expected. Of all the things I expected of being a parent, solidifying greater bonds with other parents was not one of them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, totally. No, I remember that. And like a whole new set of friends and and support network and, and family, really, you know, found family and everything. So that's yeah. wonderful. So have you and Rob's get, gotten a sense of what kind of dads that, that you feel like you are? I've always known the kind of dad I was going to be, quite honestly. Um, and I think... So here's, here are what we expected our roles would be. Okay. I'm very South Asian, very, very, very South Asian. Um, I mean, I'm very Westernized also, but I lived a very traditional upbringing and I can't remove myself from that, which means that we uh, we really instilled discipline in, in, in our children. And I expect, that I will expect that of my child. And we're usually stricter parents. I mm-hmm. definitely will be the strict parent. I hope that I will have a wonderful relationship with my child, but I know I will be more strict. And Rob will definitely be the sweet, yes, of course, my dear. <laughs> the good cop. <laughs> mm-hmm, yeah. But he will always be, I think, the, the very sweet one that the kids will go to when they want something that I won't give them. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's amazing. That's amazing. Um, I think it's so interesting the point you bring up about like balance, that balance, because we talk often to parents about the mental load that moms will often kind of feel like they have to do the majority of parenthood, parenting rather, even when they have a 
dad who's like very willing and able. And I feel like so much of this this imbalance starts right at the very beginning from day one. Yeah. And I think it's interesting because you've, you've partnered with Bobby, a formula company, to try and yeah. help change that conversation around how people feed their babies. And I think that's sort of part of that larger conversation too. Can you talk to me a little bit about that? Yeah. So our surrogate wasn't able to pump for us. And so, uh, and we didn't want to use donor milk. We did a lot of research into donor milk and for us, it just wasn't right for us. And so I'm a formula baby. A couple of my siblings are, my husband's a formula baby. And I feel like I turned out just fine. I always say that they're going to grow up and eat hot Cheetos anyway. So, like, why do we obsess over this? Absolutely. Uh, So, obviously, I'm in a very interesting position where when we say that we're having a baby, a lot of people have an opinion on how we're having a baby and how we will feed our baby. I want to make it clear to everyone listening I 100% believe that breast milk is the gold standard. So does Bobby. We all understand that. If Mm -hmm. I could breastfeed my child, 100% I would. I can't. Therefore, I need to not be shamed for that. And so I posted about it. I got 17,000 DMs that day. And almost everyone was filled with such venom. Such venom. (gasps) Are you kidding? And I think... It's because I think they were misunderstanding what I was trying to say with uh, my participation in this campaign. I wasn't saying we don't need to support the mums who are wanting to breastfeed. Of course, they should be given every support they need. We also need to not shame the people who cannot breastfeed their child or give their children uh, breast milk and have to formula feed or choose to formula feed. Totally. Or choose to. Like, you don't even, it's like, if you want to do it, do it, you know? Like, I know. And so reading the comments uh, on my post, and it was so, there was a lot of hate, absolutely a lot of hate, Ugh. but there was also, it didn't bother me because there was also mm. so much love between women, between moms on, on these comments who were saying, one of them would say, I feel, I felt such guilt. I struggled with this for so many years. And then other women would comment such beautiful support. There are thousands of comments on that post. If ever you just want to feel like there's some good in the world. Oh, and that, I love that. And that there is some positivity between mums. Please just look through those DMs. It's actually quite beautiful. Oh, that's wonderful. And I'm so sorry you had to put up with all of that venom and hate. That is just so unfair. That's okay. It's expected. (laughs) Uh, Well, and then also, not just with how you're feeding your baby, but also around surrogacy. And I think you've said before that you wish that people understood surrogacy a little bit better yeah. than they seem to on on Instagram and some of those comments. What what do you kind of like want the world to know about the, your process and yeah. surrogacy in general? Well, Julia, you made a real the, part of your question was really important and not to be condescending, you probably didn't realize why. What would I want the world to know? Mm-hmm. And this the reason why I'm emphasizing the word world is because it seems the majority of the nasty, nasty comments I get are from people outside of the US who maybe have a very different understanding of what surrogacy is. Mm. Um, I mean, obviously, uh, America's America. There's always going to be a lot of angry people. Um, And so we got a lot of Americans too, but the majority of the people were from outside of our country. Interesting. Well, by the comments, I know what they think. They believe that I've taken a woman off the street Uh, tied her to my basement radiator, raped her, and then kept her in there until she will have my baby. 
Oh, good Lord. That definitely isn't the case. I did not exploit a poor woman who... Sorry, I can't laugh. It, like, no, it is. Oh it's my ludicrous. God, it's just It's ludicrous. Um, and so, oh uh, yeah, the, the amount of comments that were saying, this is disgusting what I'm doing, this poor woman who I'm exploiting, I'm using oh her body. God. And I just think this woman wanted to be my surrogate she didn't need right. the money she's already got her own children she doesn't want more children she started out being a surrogate with, for her family member who couldn't have a child and saw the absolute joy it brought this person and then wanted to do it for more people wanted to give them the greatest gift in the world of course oh i mean i do not doubt it sounds like such a wonderful relationship that you have with her lovely relationship and so i just think there's the, so much confusion about what the process is we, there's a surrogacy agency that we use there are many a, across america this one worked well for us because they worked uh, with gay couples a lot and they could make sure that when we uh, have our baby uh that there's enough legal paperwork done to make sure that rob doesn't have to adopt uh the baby the, the my son our son is my biological child so rob wouldn't have to adopt he just is the father from day one on the birth certificate so all those things we researched how did you find your surrogate to talk us through a little bit about how that process happened yeah so we we so we went through our donor agency and we loved our donor agency so they are the idaho reproductive center um Uh and we loved them and we got a recommendation from somebody else who would use them and had a wonderful experience and so we started working with this donor center and they they recommended our surrogacy agency which is called host of possibilities and they said very clearly there are many surrogacy agencies out there they are not all the same your experience is very different with your surrogate depending on which agency you go with so we found the surrogacy agency and we told her what we were looking for we were looking for somebody who wasn't doing it for the money who had done it before who can tell us why they're doing it who can uh, who will have a few meetings with to make sure this is the right person they're living the life we want them to live so they're not they don't drink they don't smoke we don't mm-hmm. rob and i uh, uh well i'm muslim i don't drink i don't smoke neither does rob mm-hmm. uh we wanted a life that was conducive to ours um somebody who uh we knew would take really good care of our baby because mm-hmm. they are yeah. basically the, the the nanny before our baby's born they're the person who's taking right. the You're best care entrusting them yeah. with yeah care for your child obviously yeah and so we went through the post- process of trying to explain what we wanted and then mm-hmm. the, the agency whittling it down to a few and then working with, with this one person in particular who knows people who we kn- know through people we know uh, so mm-hmm. we know that this person is a good kind lovely 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 woman and so she uh, we interviewed a few times we spoke we really got to know each other what our expectations were and the funny thing is my biggest concern rob's biggest concern when we met with the agency was what if they try and keep our baby that's uh-huh. my biggest biggest concern that is our biological child not the surrogates they are the person who's carrying the child for us but they they don't have a legal right to that baby and actually i want to talk to, talk about that in just a second and explain yeah. how that works but yeah, of course. our biggest concern was that this person might <laughs> might decide that they're going to keep the baby oh, um, yes. And the funny thing is, the surrogacy agency owner said that's the that's the main thing people ask, and it's the first thing that surrogates say when they sign on. Please make sure that whatever legal paperwork is done, it's clear that we don't want any more children of our own. We've got our own children. We just want right. to help somebody else. We cannot right. be stuck with another baby. This is not right. our baby. And right, so right. that it was funny to know that both of us were concerned about the thing that wasn't true for either of us. Oh, right, right, right. 
So no, I didn't. I didn't want her to keep her baby. She didn't want to keep her. Baby. Yes, <laughs> right. She just wanted to help. Oh, that's lovely. Anyway, so the uh, the important component here, which again I don't think people understand, when they say, "Well, how does the mother feel?" The surrogate isn't technically the mother. Should we? The, the term is gestational carrier. Um, she carried our baby for us, but the egg donor. Is anonymous. We we work with the donor agency to find the mm-hmm. the kind of donor we want, and this is not a designer baby. It's mm-hmm. basically like IVF. Yeah. For us, all we wanted was somebody that looked like they could be part of Rob's family. They're from a, a ranch in Wyoming. Um, mm-hmm. We didn't look for somebody who was super tall and had this icon. None of that really mattered. We just wanted to it to seem like a part this person could have been a part of our family and that's what we got and uh, and so yeah the mother is not the term mother doesn't quite work for this situation right gestational carrier that's yeah that's the phrase yeah okay yeah it's interesting it's a whole kind of like um new kind of language and glossary that you kind of have to learn these terms and everything but um no it's so very helpful yeah i'm never upset when somebody asks oh what how is the mother doing i i assume that they're referring to the uh, to our surrogate Um, But yeah, she's not technically not the mother. And the reason why we separate it out is then nobody has a legal right to our baby. Because if, let's say, for example, the surrogate also was the egg donor, that Mm -hmm. is also her child at that point, mine and her child. But when we have a surrogate and a separate egg donor, neither of them are technically the mother. Right. Got it. So they have no legal right to take my child away. Of course. Right, right, right. And that that's very, must have been felt very reassuring when you had that kind of um, explained and everything. Yes. Very reassuring. That was my biggest concern. What if somebody one day decided that they wanted custody of our baby? Right. And, right. and nobody, I mean, women release eggs every month or many mm-hmm. women release eggs every month. But it, for the, our donor, it's just a case of she had eggs that she donated, but she never had her baby. Right. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. So you're very close with your sister. Yeah. How did your family and how did Rob's family react to the whole surrogacy process? How's that been in terms of your your wider family? Wonderfully. Rob family, it was a little easier because they understand Western culture, so they know what surrogacy yeah. is. But right. my family, they well, no, my sister absolutely understood. So did my uh, my brothers. My mom had never heard of it, so my mom's first language is not English, and uh-huh. uh, she doesn't watch Western TV at all. She's never seen my show. She doesn't watch Western TV at all, and they don't talk about surrogacy <laughs> in Bollywood, and so. Um, she had no idea what I was talking about. So it was a process trying to explain, okay, so this is how it works. And she said, well, uh, is the mother going to have um, 
regular contact. No, there's no mother in the traditional sense. Um, and so th- that kind of conversation was difficult. I mean, she couldn't be happier. She, she's so excited. And I FaceTime it not every day. I FaceTime it maybe twice a week just so she can see him. But they've been amazing considering how uh, traditional my family is. Mm-hmm. It has been interesting seeing just how normal it seemed to them and how accepting and and loving they've been weirdly they're more excited about him than i've ever seen them be about any of my nieces and nephews oh that's so sweet i think it's because they're not here like we're usually so ingratiated in each other's eyes we all live or when we we, when i was in england we all lived within the same block and we used to see each other every day and we were our own social circle we're really close with all of our cousins like there's usually at least 20 people in our home at any given moment and so our families are so so close we truly believe in the village raising your children oh yeah and so i think that that because i'm the only one who's ever left home right i think that they just want to make sure that i still feel their love and support like you're part of that village yeah do you kind of wish that you did have them of you know course. down the block from you of i mean course. i can only imagine having that actual the village would be a game changer yeah i actually wanted to bring out a few of them to not to help raise him just to feel like i have my family uh, right. here that's what everyone that's a luxury that everyone else in my family has experienced all my nieces and nephews and i wanted that normally with we call it the 40 day period so the first 40 days you the the family who's had the baby usually goes and lives with their parents for 40 days to really get used to life as a parent to get some support and so i wanted to bring my family out my sister my mom my sister-in-laws um and my brothers um but because of covid they they can't they can't come right. to the U.S. Right. So can you talk a little bit about your own childhood and how you yeah. see that influencing your experience as a father and how, you know, you want to raise your son and everything? Yeah. Uh, my childhood was lovely, um, mm-hmm. but strict. Uh, the only way I can mm-hmm. really explain it is the difference between my family and Rob's family. So Rob's family living on a farm, and I know this isn't the white experience in totality, but his experience on a farm in Wyoming or ranch in Wyoming, he's got a lot of siblings. He's got seven siblings. Um, and they, uh, they were rambunctious. They would play whenever they wanted. They would do whatever they wanted. They would eat whatever they wanted. Uh, there were multiple meals available. You could choose from those. If you didn't want your dinner, I mean, I'm not trying to denigrate them, but that's just the, that's just the way they lived. If you don't want dinner, it's fine. Here's cereal or here's this other thing in my culture mom made one curry you will eat that thing for dinner um and the discipline of when you are around adults not from a very very early age but from the age of like four five six you we absolutely uh encourage creative play but when adults are there when guests are there you will sit down and behave yourself or you will go into another room and play but you will not be disruptive or disrespectful in front of elders um you will never ever there's no such thing as a clap back there's no or or back chat whatever you call it Mm -hmm. that literally never happened i've never seen it happen in my family it would never happen and it would be shocking if it did whereas i see that with my friends and their kids i'm like oh my god i don't uh, that would i've never seen it happen in my world yeah never raise my voice to my parents or my even my elder siblings the the hierarchy of siblings is also really important your siblings who are older than you they you do not argue with them you do not fight with them they are your elders 
And so that culture I love, I love very much. And making sure that all of the children together, we want to have multiple children, that they understand that, yes, you can have all the friends in the world, but your priority is your siblings, your family. That mm-hmm. I love very much. You will take mm-hmm. care of your parents when your parents get old. Right. Uh, uh, th- that Again, is, that village, right? Like yes. That sort of, yes. You know, really I feel like in, America, Western culture, we get sort of siloed, you know, in our little nuclear families without, you know, helping out the other generations. Yeah. And disciplining it within family. I mean, I've absolutely disciplined my nieces and nephews. And if my niece or nephew, oh, sorry, if my, my son did something uh, inappropriate or disrespectful mm-hmm. to my siblings and they didn't discipline him, I would yeah. be so angry at them. That it's just as much their responsibility to raise my child as it is mine. That's just our culture. And so, but whereas with Rob's family, it's very different. Rob would never, ever dream of disciplining his nieces or nephews. That's not a done thing here. Mm. And so those kind of things are really important. And that's what my childhood was. I was raised by my aunts and uncles and my parents. My mom worked every hour that God sent. My parents were immigrants. So my siblings helped raise me. So my my sister's almost like an aunt or a mom fig, mother figure. She's ten years right. older than me, and then also the cultural aspect of uh, food and language that is so important to me. I was raised on only Indian and Pakistani food. It, Pakistan and India used to be the same country, so we have pretty much right. the same food. Um, right. So yeah, I was raised on Indian food. That was my first food. Mm-hmm. We would have what my mom would call English food every few weeks which wasn't ever English food it was like pizza or Chinese or something like that Um, but she didn't know the word for the other country so she just used to call it English food and so that's uh, that's what I want for our child and Rob thankfully appreciates and respects all of it he he's been around my family so much he's seen how well behaved these kids are um, and how respectful they are he's like we I want them to be raised this way and so Mm -hmm. I want to teach my children about my food we want his uh, first two languages to be Urdu, Hindi, um, and mm-hmm. English. Um, and they're the languages that I spoke as my first languages. And so those things are really important to me. I want my child to feel as Asian as possible, even though he's going to be raised in a very white world here because right. I don't have family or community here. And Salt Lake, I don't know any other South Asians. I mean, they're, they're okay. bound to be some, but I don't know them personally. And so all those things that were really important to me, family, family, just family and culture, I I need to instill in, into my child. And thankfully, I have a husband who loves my culture and wants our child to have that also. How are you thinking about it when you're thinking about um, raising Ismail and like, is that are you thinking are you thinking about the language you use about the books you read yeah are we, things like uh, that yeah, I mean uh, obviously this is not meant to sound condescending obviously they will understand the gay world because mm-hmm. they're going to be raised by two gay parents of course. so we will have books about gay parents uh, or gay families however it's going to be interesting to really make them understand the straight family right right I thought we need more books on what straight families look like and what what a mom means to certain people and it's almost like yeah you need to kind of prepare him for the questions that other people might ask yeah however i my only reference point for this is this being raised in a pakistani household in a muslim household a very very strict community i had to understand the greater world outside of my immediate community and I, had to, and I had to respect them for who they were. And so I got to know white people. I got to know what white culture was. I got mm-hmm. to know what other cultures were. 
within my local community. I think that there's a way of doing it which makes it so matter of fact. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if you've ever been to Utah, but Utah is quite white. And so all, um, all of our friend group here, actually most of our friend group here is white. And so uh, they will understand uh, what just white, only white families are as opposed to mixed race families or interracial families. And they will mm-hmm. understand what straight families are because most of our friends are straight and so i just think they're going to have exposure to those families constantly they're just going to understand that our family looks a little bit a little bit different but they also will know other gay parents with their children so i -hmm. think as long as you expose them to it at a very 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 young age which we will they won't ever know any different they'll just know that that families come in different colors and different makeups and that's just the way it is i think if you really belabor the point and and really call it out as well you're you don't have this you don't have a mom you don't have this our family is different this way i think that it's, it's all the way it's communicated and for me it's just exposure to those people and uh, yeah. uh, we've talked about this in the greater world uh, uh over the last year in particular how diverse is your friend group mm-hmm. so that you understand other cultures and that you uh that you take care of some of that racism you might have that's also important within our world as a gay but as gay parents, to expose them to other people so they understand that from day one, they always knew what other families looked like. It wasn't just that we were the only version and we were the right version or the wrong version. Absolutely. So, Tan, I feel like I could talk to you for so long. This has been so wonderful. Thanks for chatting with us. And sort of like to sort of end it all, what are your kind of hopes and dreams for your family over the next year? My hope is that uh, Ismail will be it will continue to be healthy. It's something mm-hmm. that it plagues me constantly, and I know that that's the case with every mm-hmm. parent. Is that I just need him to be healthy, and I pray for it a thousand times a day. Um, but that we continue to have the children that we want, and that we raise kind, good children that are not mm-hmm. that, that are a counterbalance to so much of the hate that we see in the world. And that's not meant to be the queer eye fluff talk that really is Mm. it i want my children to be kind and respectful and to be a a space of love in the world because yeah there's so much uh, discourse in the world yeah oh i love that what a great way to end tan thank you so much for coming on we are family this has just been such a wonderful chat i appreciate you you so so very much and much love to your family and good luck with new fatherhood thank you thanks for listening to my conversation with the wonderful tan france must tell you that despite just being weeks into fatherhood, he still looked utterly stylish. Come back next week when we'll be talking to broadcaster and author Anna Sale about how she discovered what she calls her parent personality after becoming a mom and how a U.S. senator ended up playing matchmaker for Anna and her husband, Arthur. Be sure to follow We Are Family on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen so you don't miss an episode. And we'd love your feedback. If you could rate this podcast and leave us a review, we'd really appreciate it. You can also find us online at parents.com slash wearefamilypodcast. We Are Family is presented by me, Julia Dennison, and produced by Sam Walker. Editing is by Vincent Cascione. And thanks also to the rest of our production team at Pod People, Rachel King, Matt Sav, and Danielle Roth. We'll see you back here next week for more We Are Family.